Faced with the lockdown of physical stores all over Europe, many leading brands and retailers cancelled their clothing orders worth over $2 billion dollars with no payment, which left fashion factories and workers with huge amounts of material and even already produced clothing. In this video, we speak with Kelly Russell, CEO of Malsy, UK's leading multi-retailer fashion app and founder of Lost Stock. Kelly talks about the idea for Lost Stock, the business model and the unique situation provided by COVID-19. What is the problem you are addressing? The problem that we identified caused by COVID was that brands and retailers had cancelled billions of dollars worth of clothing orders with no payments made to factories in countries like Bangladesh. What this has resulted in is that the factories weren't being paid and the workers weren't being paid. In a country like Bangladesh, that can potentially lead to starvation. But what it also does is it leaves hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of items of clothing completed, but they're not being utilized. How did you identify this problem and what role did your team play in this? So the way that we identified this problem was that we work in this sector anyway because we provide data to fashion brands and retailers to help them optimize what to make and what not to make. We started to see lots of reports in the kind of the retail media about brands cancelling orders, but there was one article in particular that really struck home for us, and that was on the BBC. And in that article, there was an interview with a factory owner who said that if, if coronavirus doesn't kill my workers, then starvation will. From that, we went and identified even more kind of potential partners in terms of factories and understood the problem in a lot more depth as a team to then understand, well, how could we create a solution for that? You know, with the problem there and with the kind of the, the more in-depth research around it, what we started to do is we started to do research with consumers to understand what they would be willing to do to try to help fix this problem. So what we did as the starting point is that this isn't our day job. You know, we, what we understood was that, you know, we're in this sector, but we're in a very different part of this sector. What we started to look at as a team was, you know, what could we do using the skills that we have to try to fix this problem. So as a company at that point in time, there was about six of us working and we focused in on this and how we could kind of create a solution. As we built out that solution, we then had to move more and more people across onto working from it. Uh, and that involves bringing some people back from furlough and other people who are just working on other parts of the business because the scale of the project significantly increased from our original, esti uh, our original estimation and expectations. Can you describe the timeline of this project and basically how you got started? So for us as a business, we started off by identifying that this is a problem. We then did a lot of research with consumers. We then started to speak to partners about the logistics and, and what could be possible here. That goes from factories all the way through to our logistics provider, the, the Royal Mail Group. And then we realized very quickly that we could build something here. What we also realized is that we had to move very, very quickly to get something out there uh, and to see where it would go. For our perspective, there was no point in building everything that needed to be built in and around this because we didn't know if consumers would want to buy it. So we launched within about three weeks of the original idea. Uh, and within the first uh, two months, we had sold over 75,000 units uh, of the boxes that we created using this stock. Who exactly are the beneficiaries of your solution and what is their gain? So what we developed and what we focused on was trying to create a win-win-win situation. And what we mean by that is that we wanted to create something that benefited the workers who had been impacted, who that benefited the factories that had been impacted, that also though benefited the consumers taking part, and then finally it benefited the planet. 
So the way that it works is that when someone buys a box of these abandoned clothes, we donate to the NGO uh, nearly 40% of the proceeds, which allows us to support a garment, a garment worker and her factory in Bangladesh for a week. Around 30% of the cost of the box then goes to the factories to buy the goods that have been produced, which allows them to, again, still pay some wages from that, but also covers the cost of them, of the production of the goods and also the materials involved. For the consumer, the goods that they buy are normally worth uh, double the value that they would have bought them for. So if you buy a box for £35, that box, if you bought the, the contents of it at recommended retail price, would have been 70. So they're getting a better deal involved as well. And then finally, from the planet perspective, is that these products, you know, if not sold, have a very high potential of ending up in landfill. By creating a way for factories to sell these goods directly to consumers, we've reduced that potential significantly and saved hundreds of thousands of items from ending up in landfill. What was the role and benefit of partners? So when we set this up and we, we really focused on wanting to help the workers uh, and that was our kind of core driver in everything that we're doing and all those various different benefits through that. We looked at lots of different options for that and we did firstly consider just paying factories directly and then having them pay workers through. But with our experience of this industry and the potential for there to be irregularities in that in terms of factories just keeping the money and not paying on workers, we decided that wasn't the right path to move forward. We then looked at working with a small NGO, a kind of an independent NGO, and then realized very quickly that you know the scale that we were looking to operate wouldn't be possible with a partner of that sort of scale and not of that sort of size. So we had to find a partner that was big enough that would allow us to, to work closely together that could navigate some of the kind of the government issues that come with transferring these sorts of sums of money into a country like Bangladesh and also could provide us with enough assurance that the benefit is felt directly to workers. And that's where we got came across the Sujita Foundation. They worked with another retailer that we know very well. So they were vetted, they were kind of assured through that same sort of process. And we were really, really happy to start that partnership based on all the knowledge that we had from them. What happens with the Sujita Foundation is that we provide direct funding to them and then they distribute that to workers. Originally, that was done through kind of a food baskets, food support uh, to kind of workers, which allowed them to support uh, farmers at, at the same time because there's a knock-on point in that supply chain. We now, though, have special dispensation from the Bangladesh NGO Authority to actually distribute uh, cash uh, to workers. So some workers receive cash, uh, direct cash, and some receive transfers through mobile money uh, transfers, which have you know, massively spiked in Bangladesh during this process because obviously, you know, cash has issues around COVID uh, and people kind of coming together. So the way that we operate it is that because they're the partner on the ground, because they understand the situation, because that's their expertise, we provide the funding across to them and then they kind of come up with distribution plans, which we kind of talk to them about and work through with them. But they're the lead partner. They're the ones that decide uh, how that resource is utilized within the communities in Bangladesh. On your website, you are very transparent about your pricing structure. Could you maybe comment on this and tell us exactly where the customer money goes to? In terms of how it breaks down is that we've always very much believed in transparency and showing how money is utilized throughout this whole process. So later this year, we'll release a transparency report that kind of breaks down all of that information. Uh, at the minute in time, you can go onto the website and you can see that split down. And I think it's 37% is given to the NGO partner. 
the way that that kind of operates and that builds through is that NGO partner will try to work with the factories where we bought the goods from. And in many cases, that ensures that the, the, the worker who's created the good also benefits not just from the money going to their factory, but also the money going to the NGO, which then obviously goes direct to them. And then also, in some cases, they provide support specifically for workers who have totally lost their jobs and have been totally let go by uh, by factories. And I, you know, we've now supported thousands of workers who have been totally let go by factories for several months uh, to enable them to find new work uh, as the industry hopefully recovers at some point in early 2021. Could you be maybe even more specific? Like, what exactly is the breakdown of the revenue? The way that revenue is generated through this process is that consumers buy a box and you know at the start that was focused on the UK and Ireland. We've now extended that to also include Australia and New Zealand and we're just in the process of setting up uh, the US and lots of European countries. Uh, the way that it works is that there's that then split down uh, and there's a breakdown on the front page of our website that explains how all the money is used from that. There's no additional revenue streams in terms of grants or anything like that at all. It is designed that this is entirely funded by the consumer buying their, their box of clothes uh, in that process. Coming back to your solution again, what would you say is your value proposition here? What was really important to us was trying to tap into consumers who were not just interested in donating. Because, you know, if you think of that donation pool just now because of COVID, that is being kind of shrunk smaller and smaller and smaller. And people are utilizing that resource probably closer to home in terms of kind of causes that they can see, that they can touch, that has an impact on them. So what we wanted to create here in terms of the value proposition both from the consumer side and also from the NGO side, was by creating it into a transaction in the sense of you are actually buying something. We could create something that could reach lots more consumers and kind of utilize groups of consumers who are probably less inclined to just do pure giving, pure gifting. Uh, but at the same time, we could create something that kind of generated more revenue for that partner and also created more exposure for that partner. If you think, you know, we've sold 120,000 boxes now, that's 120,000 people who have actively chosen to make a donation to the Sajida Foundation, which is significantly more than they've ever had before, as in terms of individual donors and individual uh, kind of supporters through that. How unique would you say is your solution? And maybe have you found other organizations with similar solutions? When we created this, you know, we believe that we created a totally unique proposition in the sense of we're marrying a kind of a, a fashion sale with giving, but we're asking people not to pick their own products. It's a mystery box of, of products. That leans on lots of different ideas. It leans on a subscription box idea. It leans on the kind of the fashion box ideas. It, it leans on stuff like Tom's, like buy one, give one. But it's brought together in a really unique sort of manner. And we're still not, we still haven't come across something that is appealing to the same group of consumers and appealing to the same sort of kind of societal goods at the same point. That's not to say that there isn't things that are kind of similar in different verticals, but what we've kind of created, you know, has been designed as very unique because of the circumstances in which it was built in. At the end of the day, you know, this couldn't have been built in 2019 because there wasn't the overstock problem that had been created by COVID uh, to kind of to build a situation where this needed to be made to help workers. Cool, yeah, you already told us that time and moving quickly was crucial in your situation. Um, what exactly did that mean for the organizational form of lost stock? 
In terms of a, a setup, we, we just operated this as a as part of our existing business. Uh, we separated out certain things in terms of the, the kind of the, the finances and in terms of some of the people. But outside of that, we've just operated this in exactly the same form as as our normal business. Just because it's a time sensitive situation. And I think sometimes that people get stuck into, well, what form should you make? All these same sort of things. And they spend lots of time just talking about things or, or kind of looking at things. Just go start. You mentioned one thing already that is quite interesting, namely the report you aim to issue. Could you maybe comment on how you approached measuring your impact? As part of this whole process and the decision for why we decided, one of the reasons why we decided to work with the Shida Foundation is their ability to track the impact that comes out of the other side of it. It was very vital to us that we could show how funds had been utilized by Sajida in terms of helping workers. So we have basically tracked every worker who has received uh, funds uh, through us to date. So we know every single worker who has been provided, how much cash they have been provided, and we have tracked that through, where possible, through mobile money transfers. And then if not, we have basically uh, receipts uh, for the cash that each have been provided. So it's been very, very important for us to track all that information together, which will then bring together, uh, hopefully at the end of the year, potentially into early next year, as, you know, as things develop through, to create a report that says, this is the number of workers who have benefited, and this is how much benefit each has had from this project. Great, thank you. Uh, so next, I'm wondering, how did you approach communication channels, meaning how were you able to get the awareness of potential customers? In building any new offering or enterprise, you have to reach customers. And you know we benefit in the sense of when we started this, we had already a customer base that was already kind of generated through the Mozzie app. Uh, and we had kind of a wide range of knowledge around PR, influencers, and everything that go from that. What we did at the start was we did kind of an outreach campaign where we outreached to influencers telling them about our camp tell them about what we were doing and we also outreach to to media and those two things combined allowed us to build that early momentum to kind of grow the numbers and get in front of more and more people and then we took a very very engaged social media campaign where we kind of interacted a lot with people online and we were very very open about what we were doing what we were building and telling the story kind of behind that and that's something that we've been very keen to continue to do uh, all the way through this process. Do you have any plans to scale or grow the business further? So w with our offering and what we've kind of created, there is a natural end point in terms of access to stock, uh, but we've not reached that point just yet. So our plan just now is that we've reached 120,000 boxes sold, and we're now about to start a campaign to try to reach 200,000 boxes sold, which to us will probably be the natural end point for this stage uh, of what we are doing. To do that, we're opening up delivery into additional countries uh, to kind of build that piece through. But uh, that will take a couple more weeks from where we are today. At the end of the day, we've still only existed for, for six months, but you know we've already sold, as I said, 120,000 boxes and have launched across lots of different countries. We've worked really hard and really fast to deliver this, and we plan to kind of continue to do that for the foreseeable future just to, to kind of build on, on this so far because there's so many more workers that need help. The more lockdowns that happen around the world in terms of clothing stores, the more clothes that are cancelled, which then has a knock-on effect. Great. So for everyone who has been listening and thinking, that's such a great initiative, how can I get involved? Um, what would you say? What is your recommendation and um, how can we help, basically? 
the, the two things that we ask everyone in regards to this is number one, go and buy a box, okay? Uh, and to do that, just go to loststock.com uh, or just follow us on social media. And then number two is spread the word. This has been a social movement. This has been about people telling other people and building on it from there. That's you know how we've managed to achieve what we've achieved so far. Uh, so tell friends, tell family, you know, help us spread the word through from that. Uh, in that process as well is, you know, those are the two biggest things that anyone can do and that's that's what we ask if someone's got specific skills or specific connection or, or something that goes with that then you know please reach out to us across social media because that's that's where we're more more likely to, to respond than, than anywhere else as a last question what were the main challenges you were facing doing anything new is going to have problems doing anything new during a pandemic is going to have even bigger problems and even bigger challenges we have created a global supply chain to take products from Bangladesh to consumers all over the world during a pandemic where there's less flights, where there's so many more rules and regulations, where you've got to be mindful of working conditions, you know, more so than, than ever. You know, all these sorts of different things we've had to take into account and we've had to kind of tack as we go through piece by piece. There's not one, this is our biggest problem. It is the fact that we have built a global supply chain, a fulfillment system, everything, from scratch in six months. So, you know, that is never, there is never a day where there isn't some form of challenge facing you, but you just have to tackle it and overcome it. Thank you, Kelly. And with these final words, we have reached the end of this interview. If you enjoyed this format, please hit like, tell your friends about us and subscribe to our channel. Feel inspired? Find out how to get involved by heading to our website, covid-wise.org. COVIDWISE is a production by the Social Business Model Panorama and Copenhagen Business School.